Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the NQ podcast. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you because I spoke with Nikki Elise, aka Sajidine, who is an incredibly interesting and diverse person in the esports industry. She has worked as a co owner of an esports organization, Digital Chaos. Uh, she has been a talent manager and player manager for a variety of players in the esports space. She has worked as a content creator, as an artist, as a host and caster, and has really kind of touched all various parts of the esports industry. And we got really deep into the business side of things. Um, I was able to get a lot of insight out of her on what it's like to manage a professional esports team, what it's like to compete at the international in Dota 2, what it's like to work as a woman in the industry and how to negotiate sponsorships and deals and put on a high prize pool tournament uh, in esports and, and what it takes to break into the industry as somebody from the outside with maybe not sort of a clear path through professional play into working in gaming and esports. And so I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this conversation. Thank you again for tuning in. And without further ado, let's go ahead and hop into the episode. I'm happy to have you on. How are you today, Thank first you. of all? I'm good, other than, you know, it's enjoying the wonderful. We had this conversation for Arizona freaking extreme heat warning that we have. But I'm indoors, so I'm okay, and I have my iced coffee, so we're good. Perfect. So yeah, I'm ready to start my day. <laughs> ready to start my day. It's like three o'clock in the afternoon, but yeah. Gamer schedule. Yeah. That's just how it is. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we are on EU qualifiers for any of the Dodo people out there, so I am on True. EU time at the moment, and yeah, it's kind of weird, but normal at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so speaking of of gaming and and the gamer schedule, uh, mm -hmm. what is sort of your background as far as like getting into gaming? What what got you interested in esports and um, that path lead? So let's see. I mean, obviously, gaming my whole life. Uh, God, I'm going to age myself, but <laughs> the oldest console I've owned was an Atari Twenty Six Hundred, right? Okay. But that was my dad's. Just to be clear. But that's the earliest console that I remember having. I didn't really play. I was, my hands were too small. But, you know, so gaming all my life. I owned mm. almost all the consoles and whatnot. And the PC, got our first PC when I was a kid, that really changed everything. Got into StarCraft, into Counter-Strike, um, really into Counter-Strike. I used to run like 1.6 servers with a bunch of people. We had like okay. six servers. They were very popular, blah, blah, blah. It was awesome. Um, but for the most part, it was just mostly gaming, like some competitive games. I did play in Cal. I'm not going to say how far I got because I'm not oh, wow. very good, but I did do that. That's legit. Um, I mean, I remember Cal. I, I played, uh, I wanted to get into like the... <laughs> The Dota Cal League or the I think it was the mm. Dota or the Warcraft 3 Cal League because yeah. I'm like you. Uh, first PC game that I got really into was also StarCraft. Um, mostly like use map setting stuff, but then Warcraft 3 yeah. came out and I started grinding ladder and that. And that ah, Dota. there we go. There we go. Yeah. Um, I only played like five games. Of, I watched a lot of Dota watching my brother play, but I mostly sat there annoying him playing Dota. 
Which now that I have played Dota, I feel so bad. I feel so bad for how much torture I did to him. Imagine you have an older sister coming into your room, flicking your ear because she thinks it's funny while you're playing Dota. It's awful. I'm a terrible person. I digress. <laughs> so I got into Twitch, honestly, was the big one that got me into the esports scene. I don't even think Dota was that because beta was not even out yet. League was still was just starting out on Twitch. And... You know, I'd be in my office at work in LA, and sometimes when there's a downtime or during my lunch, I'd pull up a Twitch stream and be, and watch people play because I couldn't play video games. I worked full time. Mm -hmm. I would come home late at night, like, and wanting to play, nobody to play with because all my friends were like, "Oh yeah, we're done for the night." So I'd play by myself. So I'd be like, "All right, let me go. I'll I'll start streaming." Then I streamed, you know, the Gremlin hours, and people started watching. I was just looking for people to play with, and then that kind of snowballed into getting more into the esports scene because I streamed Dota. People, uh, I had. Um, some of the pro players would come in because I would host like little tournaments in my stream and they would. Oh, wow. Not to name names. They, you know, they would just come in here and sweep these tournaments <laughs> as if like, why are you playing in these like no name tournaments that I'm running That's for my amazing. viewers? Just so you're destroying it so you could win some skins and stuff. But we ended up all being good friends, these NA Dota goons. And okay. uh, they asked me like, oh, what do you do? for a living and I'm like oh I'm a talent agent I do this I handle contracts blah, blah blah and that's kind of how it started is I got messaged at one point a player was like hey we have uh you know an offer from an esports org can you look this over for us you know because I know that you said that that's what you do and we're not really sure if this is like legitimate or not and kind of went from there snowball snowballed and okay. yeah Awesome. So I, I actually really want to dig into that, that a little bit more because <laughs> mm -hmm. that has definitely been my perception of esports, which is that yeah. I know that there are so many people who want to get into the industry because it's like, oh, video games for a living. Hell yeah. Right. Yeah. But what you just said there is like, that's the way is to bring a real world skill into an mm -hmm. industry that needs all these real world skills. Like you don't have to be a pro player to get into esports. You can be exactly. a lawyer or an accountant, marketer, or like, you know, a sports psychologist, like whatever. Mm -hmm. There's everything is going to be needed that every other real world business as yeah. esports continues to develop. So um you getting in as a talent manager for esports makes a lot of sense because that's already mm -hmm. what you were doing in your exactly in your regular life so that's really cool um so from there you basically just kind of got more and more networking i assume right that just led to yeah. more and more opportunities because you have all these real world developed skills that people are like oh right. well we need that also right <laughs> yeah pretty much it's a combination of um having all of that already done so that was a big i guess like my somewhat like bread and butter it and yes like you know i'm gonna say that the networking i mean the biggest networking would honestly just kind of meeting like my significant other which he, you know he's also a dota personality he does content mm -hmm. and we had a youtube channel and so i would assist with that stuff too as far as like making that uh, making you know looking at like the paperwork and and uh the deals and the offers that would come in 
But prior to, I would say, getting more involved until like captain's draft started, when we started running the captain's draft stuff, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of my involvement in esports was always doing deals for the honestly i still do it today i don't even advertise myself anymore and i still get like hey are you still doing this no well because i you because know, you know so and so kind of needs help if you want to like help them out and i can never say no mm-hmm. so it just never goes but it's just there mm-hmm. um which it's like the 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 mom the momager mommy instinct in me where i'm like these boys <laughs> they need looking out some you know a lot of times so why not i'm gonna just just like do it but yeah it just kind of snowballed for there because doing the agent stuff and then in combination with the big thing that we want hey i want to run a tournament me and shannon wanted to suns fan wanted to run a tournament and so we started talking about the idea of captain's draft and he Mm -hmm. wanted to do something with cindrin like no matter what so captain's draft was born Mm -hmm. and you know from its first inception in what was it like the the MLG player? Oh, what was it? I I don't even. That's we didn't even have it on Twitch for its first run, but oh, it just really? kind of snowballed. For no, it wasn't. Like it the was MLG on, like, TV, the, like the the premium yeah, service on exactly. their website. That you that's could where buy. it. That's where ah. it was back in the day, and then you know it kind it would snowball from there, and and I think that's kind of like a probably another additional lesson for a lot of people is that. And kind of like where I always feel like at the end of the day is that if you're not getting the opportunities that you feel like you 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 need or you want mm-hmm. in the space, there's also more than enough room for you to make it happen for yourself. Because for the most part, um, myself and and Shannon and I think a lot of like other you know people in the industry or personalities or whatever can relate we're not the one percent or the automatic invite type people Mm -hmm. right and and you kind of have to work really hard and hustle to make all that stuff happen and if you kind of just sit there and wait for someone to like say hey uh we want you for this or we think you'd be a good fit for this or whatever then you're just never gonna you're just gonna keep waiting forever so for the most part the biggest thing that him and I have learned like it being in this space is just can't like make stuff for yourself. Like who cares whatever other people think like you, you can do it for yourself too, because there's no rules as far as you being able to come in or not come in and make that stuff for yourself. So why not? But totally. it's kind of how, where we are. I mean, you, you get it too, right? You, you, you've made like how many, like your, of your, all of your content God. stuff and <laughs> yeah. it just kind of goes from there. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, you get it. That's the thing. Like, I, I guess I've probably told this story many times at this point, but like the way that I was able to build Dota alchemy, for example, with Jenkins mm-hmm. was I looked at Dota content and okay, well, purge does these patch note videos. This is, this is like the biggest thing it was purge does these patch mm-hmm. videos. They're like seven to 11 hours long. And because they're so long, they don't get uploaded until the following day after the patch. Right. Because it's just not possible. You can't upload an 11 no. hour video in one day. <laughs> so if I just make a passionate video, 25 to 30 minutes long and upload an hour after the patch comes out, people will be searching on YouTube. Right now. Mm-hmm. That was like zero to 25,000 subscribers was basically just that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it is really just about finding the opportunity and then. Mm-hmm. But putting in the work to make it happen, um, because I mean, I'm just like a nobody in esports, right? I just decided back <laughs> in like 
you know, six years ago, hey, I would love to work in esports and start right. making videos. And I'm not huge, obviously, in the space, but I have essentially like, been a full time content creator for five years, and that's good enough for me. You're a name <laughs> enough. Like you're a recognizable name enough in my space, in our spaces. So yeah, in Dota, I, mean, I guess. Yeah, it's so. it's always like so weird, right? Like especially when you kind of jump ship. You and I kind of on the same boat as far as like you know Dota. This is our audience. They, you know, mm. for the most part, there's some recognition there. But then try like my Twitter like algorithms and what what is activations or whatever impressions mm. get so destroyed trying to navigate the audience <laughs> between Dota, Valorant, Art, whatever else I want to tweet about. It's right. just like man, I can't even look at you right now. It's so weird, but that's just the reality of it. Yeah, and, and every little niche has its own little insular fan base and following and that kind mm -hmm. of stuff. And so it yeah. really is just like a matter of, of kind of finding the people that you want to talk to and then talking to them. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so I, I guess I wanted to learn a little bit more about the... the you mentioned Captain's Draft. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know who all will eventually see this video, but Captain's Draft was a Dota tournament. Right? And it was kind of a yes. unique Dota tournament where uh, instead of the regular captain's mode game type, it had mm -hmm. a slight twist on it, but it was still something that people would consider to be a competitive variant of the yeah. game. Yeah. Um, so take me through like how you go from having an idea of wanting to put on a tournament to actually like getting teams to buy into the idea and then running the tournament. Oh man, yes. Yeah, so, uh, like you, we knew at the time that everybody's just doing captain's mode, mm -hmm. and we're like, okay, well, you know, we're we're like, this is the cinema, this is this is songs fan, and and how how can we do this to stand out? Because like otherwise, what's the point? Like we're just gonna be like every other tournament out there, and. It's already built into the client, so it's not like we'd have to make things from scratch like we did with elimination mode. Mm -hmm. And so it's just kind of like, why not? So you just start things off, like, removing, like, the name or the idea. So say, like, you want to sit here and you're like, I want to run a tournament. It does, it involves a lot of work because you are, unless you have, like, the body or or the, what do you call it? Like, the the company to be able to spread out and assign like the tasks you kind of have to start off with have a general idea of when you want to run it and then you find your title sponsor because you need the money unless you're gonna be insane like well us and front some of that finances <laughs> yourself uh you you know you you need you need something to pay the the players say hey this is the prize pool, blah, blah, blah. You need money to pay the talent and anybody else that you're going to need, like admins and all of that stuff. So once you secure the title sponsor, then it becomes a little bit easier to kind of move forward. Um, okay, so I, it starts with you know, money so that you can kind of attract of course. the talent yeah. and the players first and foremost. Yeah. And it, at least for Captain's Draft, it was easy talent-wise because we already have the Sunsven and the Cinderin. So that's mm. already like a pairing that, you know, that we had at the time. And if I remember correctly, I think we didn't even have any other casters for the first Captain. It was literally just the two of them. 
That's funny. And we had invited teams. Yeah, I, I mean, for the Dota, I don't, we don't see this that often in Valorant, but at least in the Dota space, it's very common, pre-invited teams. Mm. If you can get a big-name team to say to commit to your tournament, it becomes a lot easier to invite everybody else. Right. So with that, and then you do that with an attractive prize pool. Uh, it was a lot easier definitely back then when the money requirements weren't as high as they are now. But right. even just looking at like the, you know, the, the LAN for captain's draft, when we did the minor, the Dota minor, um, we already had half the money because Valve fronts that. And then we needed to come up with our own. The big thing was making sure we get a good team to commit to a Dota minor that is not captain's mode. And, uh, I believe like Team Secret was definitely one of the first ones. So that was a big sell because like if you can get like Secret to commit to something like that and then you're just like, yes, yeah. let's go. Because the miners didn't have qualifiers, so, right? It was just like a tournament mm, that people no. would go to. Yeah, because from if I'm remembering correctly, like you need the qualifiers will give you DPC. I mean, we had qualifiers for it, I think. Did we? And then you can invite and teams i don't remember the, the format changed now. So it changes times. so much i'm it changes so much because i just remember that we got approved for our minor um after ti and we had how many months mm -hmm. to plan it for a january date and i'm just like what and 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 it was a big deal because like no, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure we needed to have some invited teams. Mm. I, I I remember that, like, uh, and then you can have like qualifiers for sure. each region or something, um, because that was like a, a like a big deal for us for people to participate in it, and then the points oh, can yeah. can What's... be carried over to, um, it just kind of adds up, and I think that was I think that was kind of a drama situation at the time is that there's some, some teams, teams were getting that they invited. That were right. These were just always getting invited and just getting yeah, way exactly. more opportunities to play. Exactly, I that and then yeah. some. Yeah, and then some teams like were like, "Well, how do we get DPC points if we can't even like play?" It, it was a whole thing. That was because mm -hmm. this was the first DPC season. I don't even know if you can get away with doing a captain's draft in the right. current iteration of the DPC. But back then we did, so we're just like, "Hello, we're in, <laughs> we're done, let's go." Right. So, yeah, but yeah, so. That that's just kind of like how you so you start you know you start with with the money and then you have the teams if you can get it done, um, or you just kind of go for a free for all because for Valorant if we're gonna look at that kind of ecosystem it's kind of a free for all right now and as, I know there's also specific rules like if you're if you made it to like um, certain like level in the challengers you can participate in some of the third party tournaments anymore and all that stuff so it's it just kind of comes down to making sure you have a good enough prize pool because the prize money is what dictates the caliber of the players and the skill level that's participating. Mm -hmm. And I think that applies for any esports. Yeah, that makes sense. And then having like a competent enough group of people running it because if if your behind the scenes is garbage, but the front facing of the tournament is good, then you're okay for the most part, unless you have someone that starts like vlogging or blogging how terrible you are as a tournament organizer. Those are the death traps, right? You don't right. want any of that. So it's also kind of depending on, on if you know and understand the people that you're 
working with, then you want to make sure that the, everybody as will come out of your event saying, you know, there were some issues, but overall I had a good time and I wouldn't mind doing it again. Then as a tournament organizer, you're just like, yes, I did it. Pats on the back to everybody. Let's go again. You know, and mm. that's, that's just kind of like how starts but yeah money honestly money is the freaking driving force for everything in the industry so sure <laughs> there we are what about the developers like how how mm -hmm. um i mean obviously valve is notoriously hands-off with all of their games mm -hmm. but i assume if if you're running a sanctioned event you have to kind of run things by them as well yes. as you're going through the process of organizing as far as maybe even do you have to do that with sponsors as well and, and everything or um yeah, so, okay, so prior to the DPC, I, and I'll just keep using Captain's Draft only because it's probably the best example of something that I've been a part of continuously, both in and out of the DPC system since, like, what? How long was... Our first Captain's Draft was probably, like, 2014, maybe earlier even? Mm-hmm. It was it was no DPC. DPC doesn't even exist in our vocabulary back then, yeah, and it was is, kind of just a free for all. <laughs> exactly, we didn't need any permissions from Valve as far as how we wanted to run our tournament. There was no real rules. I think as long as you followed their the public terms of service that they had at the time, where it mm -hmm. says if you want to run a tournament, this is like you know you kind of just like, agree to it and and all that stuff. And you weren't even required to run anything on Dota TV back then either, if I remember correctly. But okay. I I feel like, you know, you kind of have to be only because it's just easier to spec. Like you sit in the, uh, you know, observer, but tickets weren't a thing back then. Like none of that stuff. And then they introduced the compendium. So, so when Captain's Draft was the first, the uh, non-official Valve event, I think, that had a compendium because we programmed everything mm -hmm. for it. And uh, so that was fun. That one, we definitely were very involved with Valve as far as, hey, we're trying to do this. Is there any issues? And then Valve with their ways. Sometimes if they're, it's, <laughs> you kind of just have to get used to the idea of, they're not saying anything. I think we're good. Oh my god! I and mean, if you hear from <laughs> them, then there's a problem. But they've gotcha. been a lot better about you know coming in and be like, oh, this is awesome, and and you know, it, it it always honestly it feels so good when you get that message from someone at Valve saying like, oh my god, we just saw this. That's like amazing. Like good job on that. And you know, it's you're 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 a child getting a compliment from your you know your parents and and you're just like yes thank you dad like i'm so happy you're so proud of me wow but gotcha. but yeah like i mean so yeah as far as like being getting them involved with now with at least like when the dpc started they had a whole full like document as far as how the rule set goes what sponsors you can have cannot have mm -hmm. all that stuff obviously we like with betting sponsors it's like a big contention in esports they're the yeah. one with the most money to spend yep. and, but a lot of times the developers don't want that tied to their game so it gets really hard to try and figure out well, well then where do we get that money mm -hmm. so it's a really weird ocean to navigate with with that one yeah i bet i mean um the 
sources of income in esports as far as like sponsorship seems to be there there's kind of like a core endemic like group Mm -hmm. right which is like computer parts and peripherals and then like there's always like the the energy sponsor of every tournament yes whether it's monster red bull or now mate mate or like whatever i know i was like where do i find this new one (laughs) i want to try it it's like i've done the monster we've done the red bull let me try this one what is this and then there's like all the other fun stuff the balls or whatever right yeah there's definitely some very interesting uh Mm -hmm. energy drinks out there um but i i definitely remember because i went to yeah, was it Captain Draft three? That was the one in DC, or was that four? Four. Four. Four was four. the the minor in DC. So I yeah. went to that tournament, and if I remember correctly, you also had like uh, events DC as the sponsor, mm-hmm. and, and they were like an yeah. events organizer in Washington DC with like infrastructure in the city. So yeah, so uh, events DC is actually very interesting as far as so their events, but it's literally just being sponsored by the city themselves. Oh, because they cool. are a part of the city. Yeah. So that was a really cool uh, um, partnership that we had with them um, as far as, hey, the city wants to run mm-hmm. an esports tournament. Help us out here. And we're like, heck, yeah, let's go. So, yeah. So I thought that was like very, very interesting as far as it's kind of like why our sponsorship content if people didn't even realize it's technically sponsorship content, but not was this is all the fun stuff you can do at the, you know, at, at DC, this right, is the like history the mon- of things. Monuments and stuff going like that. To the okay, mon- sure. Exactly. So, so we're just promoting the city. And I mean, it, I honestly, it was like probably like one of our most favorite like partnerships. And then we also had, um, nasa with midas mode stuff so right. there's always just like those really random fun sponsorships that you can definitely bring in i mean non-endemics like they're they can be really really fun to work with i feel like and then eventually you can start looking at them as maybe they can be endemics in the scene because what actually defines an endemic um we're seeing a lot more food mm-hmm. and food delivery services which kind of makes sense right because you're spending a lot of time Mm -hmm. in your room and like i don't want to get up and go cook i might as well order food Um, so those those kind of make sense but like with something like nasa or like the city of dc (laughs) how how does that pitch go you know like how how do you how do you pitch a brand like that to be interested in esports obviously just from i mean both you and i know and anybody who uses a little bit of logic can see that you know gamers mm-hmm. are also other people right they have lives right. outside of games so they could be interested in anything um but but how do you how do you sell that interest or just kind of like the person outside of just the gamer to a sponsor so i would say those two in a way were kind of special circumstances um where you you kind of do it it circles back to the thing that i said at the start where you know you do you make things happen for yourself or for Mm -hmm. whatever passion project slash thing that you want to do and people will take notice and they will see that stuff and that's kind of how it worked out from what i remember from the nasa one it's just someone who works at nasa who was a fan Mm -hmm. of slacks and then it kind of snowballed from there and then the events events dc 
this was around the time when we had team and our initials ever since Dota Cinema was always DC. And then they're like, what is this company that does esports that has the same initials? As us? That just kind of makes sense. So they reached out like and oh. they're like, hey, we, you know, like we're interested in getting into esports. You guys want to meet up? We're go- and then we're like, sure. And then wow. it just okay. go from there. And then, uh, uh, you know, because it but it, it really does like open your eyes, though, as far as, oh, my gosh, there's actually potential opportunities outside of these endemics because prior to those two specific situations um if you told me that like hey you can get nasa to sponsor something that you're doing or what whatever like crazy other sponsors we, we have like vape sponsors and all of that. Like, <laughs> oh my god i remember that like right. like you, you don't think about that kind of stuff like coming into this and then this space it just esports is just growing and growing more eyes are coming into this and then now what like at least like in the valo space that i've seen i the the tournament the game changers that we had a makeup brand be the sponsor i got some fabulous freaking free makeup from that i'm so excited uh i did i helped out another uh it's not necessarily it's more like a show match thing but that was with tampax Mm -hmm. which is you know for for you guys out there it's a tampon brand <laughs> i feel like everyone should hygiene. probably know that by now i'm, I'm you you, you know just in case point, but yeah. that's yeah that's kind of something that you're like gaming you would never really think that like they want to get involved but guess what there's a lot of women that play video games mm-hmm. and that's that's another like big niche big audience that people aren't really touching up on because especially if you look at it from the what the traditional business perspective a lot of companies will market to women and this goes back to if i want to you know really deep dive into this and we talk about film and movie tvs there's a reason why prime time viewing and a lot of the commercials and ads that you see on channels like the, the the main channels, which is CBS, NBC, ABC, and Fox, why the type of shows that they have, they're always the generic formulaic, the same type things, and why the commercials mm-hmm. tend to cater more femme than you know than male, because that is the time frame where families will s- sit down and watch television together. Mm-hmm. And guess what? As much as everybody likes to think that it's the dads who control the remote controls and dictate what families get to watch, no, it's the moms. It's the moms, mm-hmm. and what they want to watch are they're the C- they're the ones that contribute to the CSIs and why there's like five million of them because they're the audience that watches all that. Everybody loves, or you know, the little housewives crime show dramas, Real Housewives of whatever. Totally. Uh, and then you see the commercials, it'll also cater to that because they're the they're the people in charge of the grocery shopping for the family. They're the ones that are saying, this is what we need for the house right now. They're yep. the ones handling the budget. So uh, from a marketing and business perspective, that's technically who they need to be catering to. And a younger demographic audience that is esports, at least back in the day when it was first starting it makes sense that it was all 
male power energy right blah 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 but the space is evolving a lot more where it's become the the audience is growing up with it a lot of them are now transitioning into families bringing in their kids into the gaming space a lot more women it's pretty obvious are also involved in the space so the marketing is also transitioning with that and mm. It'll be interesting to see where it is, like even like a few more years down the road when it's probably a lot more normalized or established, like compared, like if you compare it to like other sports, I guess. Yeah, so totally. We'll I, I remember seeing those sponsors for Game Changers. Like, oh, yeah, this makes so much sense. It's a women's only yeah. tournament. <laughs> Why would you not have more feminine styled sponsors? Like, of course. Mm -hmm. That that is yes. exactly what you should do if you want the most out of your marketing dollar. So, I mean that that's the way it should be. Like you know, like, I know, and, and it's it's genius, honestly. And mm -hmm. I and I wouldn't be surprised if that that continues to be the trend, at least like for a lot of the younger sports. Like you know, if you look at the comparables, like some of the industry, like okay, if you look at Dota to League of Legends. Um, I there there's definitely I think a divide or a visible difference as far as the demographics mm -hmm. for both not counting I mean I'm sure some statistician can do this like uh but just given like the sample size for each one is definitely more female friendly and then you could there's a whole lot of like arguments and sciences that involve us to why and then it's the same thing right now with Counter-Strike and Valorant and then you know so on and so forth where it comes down to like something that is drawing in a younger audience for the most part will not just be catering or pulling in one you know one demographic over the other it's just gonna be a lot more and i think as far as like dota 2 is concerned at the end of the day even though dota 2 is newer dota as a game overall is just older and totally. i think that's kind that's a contributing factor as to why that the audience is the way it is it's also a lot more what's the word like we're so compact compact insular right? it's a very insular we're in yeah, yeah insular so so i th that's that's another big one for sure i think that affects it as far as like being able to market and sponsor uh and or sell dota in particular compared to like other tournaments but it's doable. It's just hard. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I think if I if I were to just because I mean, I've, I've obviously run um, Dota channels and now I have a Valorant channel as well. Mm -hmm. And even there, I think the. You know, it's it's a very small amount, but if I look at the the viewership in Dota, it was like maybe one percent, point nine percent was female or something like that out of yeah. you know millions and millions of views. And on Valorant, I'm like pretty close to six percent, I think. Um, mm. Which sounds like a very small amount, but the difference between those two is huge. Right. And, and also like the age demographics, I think Dota was like very much 18 to like 35. It was like skewing. Wow. I think the biggest the yeah. biggest audience in Dota was like the the 25 to like 30 year old at this point. Whereas Valorant, it's like <laughs> 14 to 20 is like the biggest. Trend. I know. So. Yeah, that's always my favorite, getting killed by a 10-year-old. You know, <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, okay, thanks. I feel very old. You're welcome. <laughs> <Just> right. 
Cool. Oh. Well, that's that's awesome. I mean, I you know, I've I've dealt a little bit with sponsorships. Um, I've always kind of stayed away from it for the most part with like content sponsorships, because mm-hmm. anytime you do that kind of thing on like a content channel and you've been a content creator as well, so, you know, mm-hmm. but you kind of dilute things a little bit. It's like I like to think of it as you have your audience has sort of like built up a I don't know, like a bank account of goodwill. Um, yeah, just through giving them content for free that they enjoy. And then if you kind of stick like a, I don't know, Raid Shadow Legends ad in the middle of a Dota video, <laughs> they're going to be like, right. hey, what is this? You know, but because you right. have this goodwill built up, you can kind of like withdraw from your bank account um, a sponsorship. But then you have to kind of yeah. like make it back up to them and refill your bank account. Exactly, again. exactly. Um, I mean, it's it's harder, too, with just like how YouTube works as well, right? right? The, the, the YouTube pains as far as where do I even place the ad? Like, technically, this is it, it's worth more if I do it in this section. But then right. you're, you lose the, the, the viewer retention. So it affects your algorithm and just like, YouTube, please right. <laughs> let us monetize something. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other freaking topic, I feel like. But you yeah. know that pain. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we can get into monetization a little bit. I, I am a little bit curious and obviously... I don't want to mm-hmm. like prod finances too much, but there was sort of a golden age of Dota, I would say, right? Where yes. you could create your own items and your own compendiums. And from what I can understand, it was a pretty lucrative time for people who were creative and had mm-hmm. work ethic at that point. Yeah. It was like a moment in time that lasted for what, like two or three years, basically, maybe a little bit less, where you could kind of like use Dota as a springboard to really create your own business. Yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, it was nice. I I get that it was abused by some bad actors, mm-hmm. but I kind of wish that instead of punishing those who weren't doing it correctly or treating it like like a proper business, that. I don't know. It, it's just kind of weird, right? Because this was around, that was around the same time when Cowboy Ursa was considered like outlandish. Right. And now where are we? Cowboy Lena. So she just it, came out. <laughs> exactly. And I'm just trying to understand why all of the good creator okay i wouldn't like i wouldn't say it that way. There's still a lot of really good creators, but why a lot of other people who were within that space, who were, I guess, in a way, like, pushing the boundaries and the buttons and the whatnots, had to kind of be sacrificed Mm. for us to still, at the end of the day, end up where we are. Um, And it's kind of unfortunate that that was definitely one of the better ways. Because, look, even, like, for tournaments... If a third-party tournament could still do their own compendiums and get items or something else into the game, even maybe something similar to what we're doing now with the bundle support packs, mm-hmm. I, I I feel like that would help a lot. Because... The whole ecosystem and Valve themselves, like they take a cut of everything, right? right? Like you're oh, basically yeah. oh, just yeah. doing an entire tournament for them in terms of income. Yeah, yeah, and. It, it, I, I'm, I guess like I still personally don't understand why that's not a thing anymore. When, 
The only thing I, I can think of right now, and maybe I'm missing something here, something internal, something public that is just completely glossing my mind. If the only concern at the end of the day is quality control of what kind of sets are getting in and, and all that stuff, well, I feel like that's that's already out the window. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'm just like, let people buy what they want to buy. Uh, I know they the market kind of got saturated as well, like the people buying things mm -hmm. so that they can resell them. That part, honestly, I, you know, I don't really care for that aspect of it. If people are trying to do it that way, if anything, that kind of ruins stuff for a lot of people too, was the hoarding and the whatnot. Yeah, but, I, I really wonder whether there was some sort of thing where, sorry to cut you off, but like mm -hmm. no, the, no, no. the Steam market has its own sort of like item resale yeah ecosystem but is that is it really that big an income piece for valve to for them to not want that to be saturated with new stuff that's also just being bought for the first time and giving them maybe even a bigger cut than the little steam right. sales i wonder if that was part of it where they saw like a big dip in like the resale and trading aspect on steam and they're like oh no you know because they're very data driven so they see like maybe yeah revenue dropping as they allow people to put in more and more sets like, wait, we don't want to lose this stream of revenue. Right. But they hadn't really necessarily calculated how much actual revenue they were going to get if they just yeah. allowed creators to continue putting new stuff in the game. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure either, because like, if you think about it, though, a lot of the sets that they're putting in right now, you can't even sell or trade anyway. Right. So if anything, they're kind of doing that. But I, I feel like a lot that the, the, the people that the 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 scalpers of the Dota world or whatever <laughs> that buy and sell like after one they're not as prevalent I feel like anymore compared to the people that just want to buy stuff because they like it or they want to support something I mean sure at the end of the day the people that are buying the battle pass or whatever to support or to contribute to the price well they're small but right. that's not what I mean it's like I bought the battle pass last year or for, or for the most part, I buy the battle pass not because I want to give mil money to the millionaires that are going to win it. <laughs> I want to like, say that right now. I'm not. Right. I wanted it because that Quapricana is hot as fuck and I want it. <laughs> and I'm not trading that for anything. Right. And that to me was the value of it. And and i'm i'm like honestly i'm the perfect consumer i don't this i like i'm really bad at dota and it really stresses me out i still consume it constantly if this battle pass had anything good in i would have still bought it mm -hmm. but there's nothing in there that interests me right now but if they come out with another like you know arcana as close to or as similar as the queen of pain one heck have my money i don't care this game right. has you know contributed so much to enjoyment in my life i don't mind throwing in like a few i did that for counter-strike when counter-strike released the uh what do you call it the battle pass that allows you to have a woman a female skin oh wow okay oh you bet your butt i bought that thing mm -hmm. because i have been playing counter-strike since 1.4 1.5 the fact that I can play the character as someone that kind of, that looks like myself, Valve have my money, use this as a starting point of saying, hey, a lot of people want to buy this. We should do more. Mm -hmm. That's how that's how I feel. I'm all about like supporting the developers when it comes to that stuff. But 
they have to have a reason for it. And I, it's kind of, I feel like we kind of went a little bit off topic, or I went a little bit off topic, but to circle back to the whole tournament organizing thing, I feel like uh, with maybe the schedule's not as forgiving about this anymore, but third-party tournaments, it would remove a bit of that chip off of their shoulder if there was a way for them to monetize in-game, especially if you cannot have betting sponsors as a sponsor. True. And I think teams kind of similar thing too, right? Because we used to have that. Remember the Vici freaking... Oh, the couriers uh, and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's... You don't see that anymore. And I'm just like, why? It is so weird. Like... I mean, I would love to just get an actual answer out of somebody who works. About, we'll never get that answer, but it's like, no, it just seems like not only that, but you almost open up the whole ecosystem to just be more of like a meritocracy to some extent where mm-hmm. like you could have a new tournament organizer. It doesn't have to just be ESL and PGL and whoever running the tournaments. You could have somebody who's like, all right, I've got sick 3D artists. I've got an awesome tournament idea. We're going to put together our own thing. We're going to fund everything ourselves and we're going to make the best items in the game and people will pay us to run our tournament just and and they get something from it also in the game, which is cool. And like every year at TI, I go through all the, you know, I browse Reddit. I go through like the sets. There's so many awesome cosmetic sets. They're so good. People are so good at making items for the game and we get a fraction of them and most of them get discarded or rejected and we never see them again. It's like just put them in a tournament bundle. Like, let us exactly. let us get these exactly. items. We want to give you more money. <laughs> like, uh. <laughs> I don't know. That's how I feel. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you pretty much like hit that nail on the head. I like. In, you know, our timing here, we got really we, we really like hit that stride where the juggernaut set if, from D.C. I just I mean, that was uh, it. <laughs> that was it, it. It was yeah, that was part of our compendium. And you know, I I I I feel like I don't know where we would be in this space if we were not able to do that. And I'm just trying to imagine we probably how much more involved we could be in that space mm-hmm. if we're still allowed to do stuff like that. As well as kind of I, I don't know. Like you said, they, I feel like there's room for the the big boys, the big orgs, the big TOs, and the medium-sized ones. But for the medium-sized ones it's and smaller ones, it's definitely a lot harder now to stay within that space mm-hmm. besides having to deal with the insane, like, DPC... Or even like, you know, the, the acronyms of the role, even on Valorant, it's kind of in a similar space. The D- DPC and VCT schedule mm-hmm. to find a way to come into this but and, and be able to find a way to like monetize things if you can't really, if you're not like the type of like person who has those connections to the sponsors and all that. And it's really, it's hard. It's hard to get into it without like, having all of that stuff so and not impossible but it is a lot harder now i feel like compared to before yeah that makes sense um okay i want to shift gears a little bit mm-hmm. uh yeah tell me what it's like to own an esports <laughs> oh man so this was 
like uh, the the way we we go about it's always been a dream mm-hmm. to have our own team and we're like hey you know we'll we'll, we'll find a way to make it happen and after i want to say what is it like off after our maybe was it second captain's draft is kind of when we seriously pursued it uh, and then we eventually, it, what was it, like TI4, TI5, or whatever, having to start those meetings with the players, hey, we're, we're going to form an org. Mm-hmm. Are, would you be interested? The I mean, you've heard after the story. party conversations. The fi- yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, were, we were a part of all of that, you know, mm-hmm. going to the after parties and the after party breakfasts and mm-hmm. then trying. At the time, I feel like it's, you know, you when you're a TI, especially, and you're looking at like all of the people having breakfast or lunches or drinks together, and you're just like, why are they having lunches right. and drinks with those people and then you see me and sunspan having lunches and drinks with players and people are like the fuck <laughs> but, <laughs> and then out of nowhere we're like oh but yeah so i thought that was interesting uh, one of the biggest concerns to start was you think anybody's gonna take us seriously enough to mm-hmm. want to be part of our team okay and hey lo and behold you know Things happen. I mean, that was, yeah, that was what the AUI getting kicked out of EG. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, whoa, holy shit. Hey, Curtis, what's up? Sorry to hear about <laughs> it. was like messaging him, mm-hmm. talking to all of these like players. And, and then, and then it just kind of suddenly happens. And then you're like, all right, this is the roster. This is like, you know, we'll let you know if, if we're going to go with you. We had a couple of options, then eventually it ended up, and then you wake up, and then you're like, holy crap, we have a team. Mm. Now what? And I assume it's kind of like also running a tournament where you need to have like a, a title sponsor. You need to have like yeah. that, that core player that's going to attract yeah. other players to come play with them. Yeah, we had we had um, an investor on top of like ours, so we kind of used some of our like some of the earnings that we've had from like being part of the workshop and mm-hmm. the, I mean, ter- earnings from tournaments that doesn't, that doesn't exist really, but it's all. <laughs> so, so let's, let, let, let's, let's put that out there right now. But yeah. So, and then on top of that with the investor, because yeah, we just didn't want to be another, um, what, small org just trying to come into this which honestly kind of considering it maybe wouldn't have been so bad but you know we're shannon and i were, were the go big or go home type mm-hmm. people and we wanted to kind of go out there with that we have a team and it's these guys and it's gonna be amazing and blah 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 mm-hmm. uh you know, we want we we wanted to be reputable from the start, only because it, it's a combination of, especially for Shannon, like he's somewhat of a name. It's tied with another sort of a name, which is Dota Cinema. We wanted to keep it DC. Oh man, the amount of 
agonizing for names and even like <laughs> clearing it with different people. What do you guys think of this name? Oh what do you guys think of this name? Trying to compare. Well, like our name, like, oh, that sounds so cheesy. Like, what is that? Like, well, what you think like Evil Geniuses is a good name? Like, really? <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, any name sounds like, the, until right. like it's not established, is, is it a questionable name, right? Yeah, TSM, really been... Team Solomid. Like, exactly. What, what, what does that even what, mean? What is that? <laughs> Exactly, but now, now yep. I'm not even kidding. We went through all of the like the amount of time just coming up with it. We could have been dinosaur commandos, man. I'm like, I'm still so sad about <laughs> been that. Sick. I mean, unicorns of love. That's a, that's a legitimate LCS team or LEC, or whatever. Exactly, exactly. So. I, I'm not even kidding. I was like selling dinosaur commandos so hard only because of the merch opportunities. Oh for hell it. yeah, hell yeah. And I. I Oh my god! The only thing Shannon cared about was it had to have the sun's colors. So there we are. So sure. we had DC. It had to be DC because it had to be tied to the you know the company like Dora Cinema and everything in between. Make sure that all of that gets carried over. Mm-hmm. We and as much you know and and yeah the the announcement video got a lot of flack, but. Like looking back and like if you think about it, at the end of the day, the way we branded and marketed the team, and it kind of even carried over when it became chaos by itself, mm-hmm. was that it's you know the 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 brand because that was some, I think a big thing that was an issue, especially in the Dota space at the time, was the the players as individuals. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, there's no reason to kind of be be a, in love with a team. Like I wanted what I have about Team Liquid, where it doesn't matter what their roster is, mm-hmm. I will be a Team Liquid fan. But I wasn't like that because of Dota. I was like that because of StarCraft. Right. So the idea was we need to come up with a team or an org that it doesn't matter which players are in our org, the fans will remain fans. And how do we do that? What's the remaining, what's the constant here besides the team itself? And at the time, we're like, well, let's leverage Shannon, Suns fan, being the owner of this Mm -hmm. because he does have, you know, his small following, the Dota Cinema following. We understand the demographics of Dota Cinema Mm -hmm. was more casual, but there is a pocket of, people that are into esports in the Dota Cinema audience. So how do we transition them to being digital chaos fans? So that was like the whole, you know, thing. And as much as it got lambasted on Reddit when the announcement video came out, mm-hmm. overall, the goal worked out, honestly. It, it did what it did correctly. And that digital chaos was suns fans team and that's how we wanted it to be known and seen and that's how it was and birthed like the suns fanning years away it's, totally. it's the whole thing it, it totally worked i mean i would say regardless of what the finances were on the backside i think that it was a success mm-hmm. like it's very hard to come up with a team and then like push yourself into a space that's already established with many names yeah. that are already established um especially in a game like dota like holy shit i mean how many times have cloud nine come in and left the dota scene how many times <laughs> has clg come in and left mouseports like all these huge orgs right. that have either lots of money or lots of vc backing and they just can't stick because they can't build 
relationship with their audience, it feels. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Ultimately, that's what it comes down to, and I think that's definitely something that's missing in esports. Uh, is that point that you were saying where it's like there's no brand identity for most of the teams. It's player identity mm-hmm. that runs them. Right. Brand identity is what allows you to become the NFL or the NBA. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't have exactly. the teams that actually hold the fans, there's no way you'll ever stick around. Period. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, that that was that was the strategy. And, in you know, like it works out like to this day, we still, you know, we still get a lot of, oh, digital chaos. Like, are you guys coming back? Are you guys going to get a Valorant team? Are you going to get another Dota team or whatever? Let's do it. And we're, <laughs> yeah, we've not we've not closed off. I mean, barring some legalities and whatnot, our idea or mentality as far as you know, having another team mm. down the road, it's not closed, but we also learned a lot from doing that. So as far as like how we would want to do it moving forward, it'd be a little bit more, it'll be a lot different if if we do go down that road again. But right. it just kind of comes down to same thing with like any tournament that I would run. It's like, how financially secure would it be <laughs> so that I don't have to cough up like and destroy our bank accounts for it? But Fair. we'll see. <laughs> okay. And, and yeah, so we don't need to go into like sponsorships and, and that kind of stuff for teams because I assume it's fairly similar to a a tournament. You have to find people who want to work with you, who believe in your ability to draw eyeballs, which is the same as a tournament. So in, instead of going down that road, I want you to just tell me a little bit about the uh, the TI run, because that was oh. probably one of the craziest moments that you guys have all been through. And just like, just tell me a little bit about that whole experience of like, OK, you go to TI, sure. obviously getting to TI itself was kind of a surprise, I believe, for, for you all. Sure. So, OK, so I guess like. Just the one thing about the sponsorships that I mm-hmm. would touch up on, if any team or players that are out there like listening to that stuff, you want to know what the hardest, why the whole idea of having an established org is important versus just like the players, is that the hardest thing to sponsor, for a sponsor to look at is if we give you money to sponsor you, where are you guys going to be five months from now, a mm. month from now even, are you guys still going to be a roster? Because if not, then what's the point? And I think that's the biggest thing as far as the hardship of finding sponsors for teams is if y'all don't, you know, suffer through some of the hardships that you do and you change rosters every time, you're a hard sell. And that's just, I guess that's just that's, that's my thing for that. And that's me coming from a team owner, a player manager, and someone that is an agent or a met or player manager representing people and players trying to sell you like toughen up a little bit or think about this before you guys disband for the next like qualifier run or something like that it's hard to sell you when you're not consistent that's all but that's a good point i mean i (laughs) i i uh i coached an eu stack for about three months four months or something Mm -hmm. like that um leading up into the second dpc season and I think there yeah. was like three roster changes in like two months. Yeah, it's like, that. It's, it's, it's like it's very hard, hard. right? Mm-hmm. Because not have only to, to build chemistry, it, but like, also just like like you said, from the sponsorship, obviously, right. it's like you can't sell them because yeah. as a sponsor, like you're saying, well, who's on the roster? Well, it's this, mm-hmm. and then 
you message him a month from, oh, hey, this person's not in the roster anymore. So how does that work? Because unless you're signing it with an established org, everybody's signing an individual contract. And then now what? Right. <laughs> you know, it's just like a whole pain. But okay, TI run. TI run. I mean, Shannon said it before. I have no problem saying it as well. It's a, it's, it's a freaking fluke. And at the same time, it, it also just shows like how strong that roster was, even though they all... How do I phrase this <laughs> nicely? There was a lot of problems mm. with, with, our, with the team. A lot of um, interpersonal issues. Sure. And so prior to TI... We were literally on the road for like about a month. I remember, what was it? We did, I, I don't remember being home for like a month because we did, we were doing a bunch of qualifiers and then we did, uh, what was it? Summit, Nanyang, and then Star Ladder back to back to back. Mm-hmm. I don't remember fly, what hotel, order. play tournament, fly hotel play tournament etc yeah and that that was there was a lot of tension and at the time too so to kind of like go prior to that if we circle back a little bit right that was that was the roster that we formed because team secret decided that hey we do not want two of our players anymore Mm. goodbye and we're and at that time our roster that we were so excited to announce because, oh, this is going to be so good. Suddenly is now, what, EG? And we're just like, what? <laughs> oh, that was fun. That was so fun. And Wait, I say that with all me th- the sarcasm <laughs> in the world. Run, run me through that a little bit. So you had, right. you had a team, basically. Oh, so yeah, because had... it was Bulba and AUI. Yeah, it was Bulba AY. We had Phoebin. We mm-hmm. were trying out Rezo and then Soxa. Mm-hmm. And we were, we've been scrimming. It was amazing. They were gelling so well. It was looking so good. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh my God, this is going to be Shannon. This is the fucking roster. <laughs> I don't know if I'm This is a roster. It's going to be so good. Oh, we go to bed the next day. We're supposed to plan because the roster locks are like in the co- at the end of the week. The next day, we're like, "All right, what do we do?" Or we, we should we should plan our announcement video. And then we got the "Hey guys, we need to talk." Oh like, my god! What? Because it was around the time when I think. EG lo- announced their ro- like roster changes. We didn't think it would affect us, mm-hmm. and like that was I think that was the day before EG announced like the roster shakeup, like so and so left or whatever. And then we were already gelling; it was great. And then we had the we need to talk, <laughs> and that was what that was that was the week of the roster locks, and we had. And I didn't know what to do. Shannon and I, we were just speechless. We were dumbfounded. We were like, what do we do? It was like, this is it. We're dead. We have nobody. But they haven't decided at the time. So we're like, we're going to wait. You know, we're going to let you know. And we were hoping. We were hoping, okay, maybe they're not going to go. 
because mm-hmm. they got the offer. Maybe we're not going to go. They'll stay with us. We've treated them so good. Like, it's going to be great, right? And then we got the, the heartbreaking news that, yes, our some of our players are now going to leave. And <laughs> we thought we'd have at least maybe three out of the five, mm-hmm. but that wasn't the case either. And then we're just like, heck and at that point with dpc the roster locks coming we were like how do we find players with just like a couple of days left in the roster lock we're dead it's done what do we do Mm -hmm. and 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 for anybody's listening sorry uh, but for anybody's listening this is how quickly this stuff happens people will just decide i don't want to play on this team anymore and then as soon yeah. as that one piece leaves or two pieces leave, everybody else is like, oh, I'm starting from scratch also because I don't care anymore. What's the point? Yeah. Right. What's the point? Have we, like, Rezo, he was like, what am I going to do? Like, I don't have a raw. I'm like, I can't. We're all in literally the same boat. We can't. Who do we find? Right. You know, at this point. And then it's Shannon is like, well, maybe we can try to build around Rezo. If he finds a stack, we can just sign them. You know, all of these things. And then Team Secret announces that Zuri and we are no longer with Team Secret. We're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And I cannot even begin to tell you how much scrambling and messaging we did and didn't do. Rezo was like doing his things. And then... And then apparently we weren't even the only options for them as a stack when they formed. Because I think Moo at the time also was. And we're just like, what? It was just every, it was like every, everybody was kind of scrambling. We had, I want to say like, what, two days to the roster lock? If that, maybe less. Oh my God. Because they, they got dropped like, what, two days before the roster? I, I it was a big drama. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. And then. And then they were, and then. I don't even know how it worked out, but it did. And then they're like, all right, let's do this. And that's so crazy. And and at that point, because I mean, Misery and we were in Europe, right? Because they were playing for a European so team. So it's Rezo and Saxa. <laughs> that, oh, was, right, right. that was our stack. Our but, NA stack was four Europeans in Moo. Right. But you'd at least been scrimming with Rezo and Saxa, but they were still oh, yeah, exactly. as you were scrimming. Yeah, they, yeah, we would do East Coast okay. like uh, servers and whatnot. But we gotcha. knew that we'd be bringing them over at mm-hmm. least. That was that was already the plan from the beginning was to bring Rezo for sure. Rezo wanted to play in NA. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, we'll bring you over. Um, so I was already actually dealing with that, and then uh, Soxa became available. So we're like, okay, let's, you know, yeah, definitely. Like, if you're interested in coming over here, we'd love to do. Because one of the biggest things that Shannon and I were very old school. We're like, we want a team house. Mm-hmm. If we have a team, we want a team house. So we got a team house. Mm-hmm. And we flew everybody over. Uh, yeah, that was fun. Oh, man. Boys. Some... <laughs> being a mother, being a team manager slash mother has made me like, oh, yeah, I'm not having kids for a very long time, if at all, after that <laughs> situation. 
let me just say that. I mean, I, I I don't mind it at the same time, but man, when you're shout out to all the managers and momagers out there as far as like all the stuff that you have to do. When I told you we did the back to back like traveling and tournaments, all that stuff, um, there'd be times where jerseys need to be washed because you have to wear them and you can only put up with like you know stress gaming stink sweats <laughs> for a while so you have to wash those jerseys right and, and you're booking flights you're, and hotels and doing their laundry flights, and getting hotels. food <laughs> yeah and i'm not just washing jerseys like i can like i'm not gonna say it but i can tell you like what all my players like underwear preferences are some of them <laughs> wear tidy whitey some of them are boxers i don't care i had to wash them all because my job was to make sure that they're focused on the game mm. and not stressed out. So I'm the one that has to make sure that all of that stuff gets done. But yeah, anyway, like we have, you know, we've brought everybody over ha- and, you know, got the team house ready and, you know, got everybody like in sync and whatnot. But, uh, you know, the, perf- the results were all over the place. This is, at the end of the day, a roster formed out of necessity not necessarily out of you know we want to play together we're good friends or blah 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 so obviously the cracks you started seeing this and that happen but for the most part prior to ti we did scrim um what is it like wings or whatever the most oh really okay yeah and I think that really paid out, <laughs> panned out. We broke them at one point. That was always like one of my favorite memories was we kept wrecking them in the scrims. And I think at one point, I remember this was uh, in LA in one of our boot camps and they rage quit. <laughs> they, they rage quit. <laughs> and really? then I, 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 I stepped outside after to kind of just have a, you know, have coffee and, and then Jack comes by and is like, what did you guys do? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I didn't do nothing. We didn't do nothing, but the boys are in good spirits right now. And you know, it's, it, it, it like, it, it panned out in the end. And honestly, I, I, I don't know. It, it is a common... I mean, obviously, everybody at TI, they're all very skilled. The boys, they're all very skilled players. Mm-hmm. And TI, it, it just does something to people, to teams, and it's a make or break. Uh, and I can tell you right now that prior to TI, if a team could all, could be in rock bottom, that's where we would have been. There was a lot of disarray behind the scenes. At that point, we had two coaches mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, some coaches are for some players and then another coach is for some other. It was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, and maybe Team Secret can understand where I'm coming from with this, is that sometimes if you come into things with all of the expectations in the world, it gets too heavy. Mm-hmm. Totally. But when you come into this with the expectation of we're already done, let's just have fun and have at it and see how far it takes us. Well, it looks like it can take you very, very far. And it's just a battle of mental at that point because mm-hmm. you can't argue that one team at TI is going to be Abs- I mean, maybe here and there, but for the most part, I would say the skill disparity of teams that make it 
to TI, especially like main event TI. They're all it it is literally anybody's game. And I think DC was kind of a big proof of that too, is that it literally is just anybody's game. Uh and yeah. that's why TI and esports like for the most part is so exciting when it comes to that stuff. So that's that's the TI run, I think, for in the the best way to explain it. Nothing to lose, so you take it all the way. <laughs> okay, so you guys lose to wings in upper bracket round one. And then you have to yeah. go all the way through the lower bracket back to the grand finals to play wings again. So at what point in that lower bracket did you guys start to get like we could actually potentially? Um, do you remember kind of there was there a moment like that or were you just kind of like got another series? With- I- Kind <laughs> of just so I wasn't actually there, but from my conversations with Shannon, I don't I don't necessarily know if it got to that point. Probably after beating EG. Mm, okay. I think is when that that kind which at that point that just kind of tells you uh, why the outcome becomes the way it is. And I right. <laughs> and I mean we it still like kind of went almost like all the way too so i don't know it's it, it's a tough one that makes I, sense, I would though. say that i would say that would kind of be like a big point was e, the eg fight because prior to that i, I it, it at least like from looking at it or just like the the mental of things you're you're all oh this is still absolutely doable and then suddenly you beat eg and then you're just like holy shit we're doing it (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean that makes sense i mean like you lose that first round and then if you're thinking about making it all the way there's no probably just like so i don't know what's gonna happen this game and you go out there you just play and like things go well that that's right there's a reason that you (laughs) see the same names at ti over and over it's because these are Mm -hmm. just like will be able to handle that pressure and just go up yeah enjoy the moment that's why they're good exactly yeah it, I don't know. It's it. I it's hard for so many to fathom. I still can't fathom it, and I've the stress that I feel every time my team plays. <laughs> I can't even. Okay, it, it, like anybody in the, if you have a favorite team or a favorite player, and you're watching them play, and you're the stress that you feel, frustrations that you feel when they win or lose. That doesn't even come close to when you're actually invested. You know, right. and. Like I was emotionally invested, I was financially invested, but I wasn't the players. Like right. I can't. You see, like I like you see when you're behind the scenes, when you're in the room with them, because we may always made sure that was one of the big things that I was like very adamant and important to me was I sat in every scrim, I watched like every guy. You know, I was there, and mm-hmm. you see the pressure, you see the anger, the rage, you see the tears, the heartbreak when things don't go your way mm-hmm. and even when things do oh my gosh like qualifying for ti is still one of the best memories i have of i wanted to film it but it was just so chaotic because <laughs> we just jumped across the table almost like knocking me over and it was amazing but right and, you know and and that it's just like hard to quantify like what kind of emotions like 
everybody goes through, how sick they get, the anxiety. You hear like some of the players even like they have anxiety attacks, panic attacks. They throw up, they get sick. It's it's a whole thing, and yep, it's rough. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I I remember like because I I was a pitcher in in high school and college in mm-hmm. baseball, and I just remember like feeling very sick to my stomach every single game that I got there. Even even if it was against a team that I knew I was going to beat. Right. Like, it was just like, until I had gotten through that very first couple of pitches, it was like, what am I doing? Why why am yeah. I playing this game? <laughs> it's so <laughs> terrifying to go out there and play this game. And then you actually get into it and it like becomes fun. But exactly. the anticipation leading up is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. All right. Well, that I mean, this is all bringing back so many memories because I was there. I went. That was uh-huh. the. This was Ti six. So that was. Mm-hmm. Six. I think that was the first Ti I went to. That was the first Ti I went to. Oh dang! Um. So I I remember that being there for the the EG versus Ehome game. I remember being there for the whole DC run. Uh, God, crazy, <laughs> crazy, crazy event. Um, and and that was actually the event where I think it was maybe just like after the first day or so, but because it was my first LAN tournament that I'd actually ever Mm. been to, uh, where I was just like, okay, esports is real. Like there's, there's no way that esports does not become a global phenomenon. I've been here in person. I've seen how much it matters to everybody, players, fans, everybody included. Like Mm -hmm. this is it. Like this industry is going. That's cool. <laughs> I'm having some reminiscence <laughs> right now. So that's a good Aww. good opportunity to change some yeah. change topics. Um, <laughs> and I don't want to spend too much more of your time, yeah. but um, I do want to kind of go more into your um, current sort of endeavors. Obviously, yeah. uh, you're an artist, and also now you've been experimenting in some like commentary and hosting and Valorant as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to kind of get your insight into both like the creative side of getting into the industry as far as I mean, because you could be a thumbnail artist, you could be an emote artist, you could be a logo or a graphic designer for a team. um, And also just like seeing things from the other side now, like how how do you see the industry? What's been your experience um, seeing the other Uh, side of things? It's definitely gotten a lot better compared to how it was when I first started. Um, If we don't count, like, maybe the times from prior to the existence of Twitch, this was, like, like, you know, in the Cal days, people were just, like, getting peripherals as a prize, and that's Mm -hmm. that major day. Uh, You know, things are definitely a lot better as far as contracts, paperwork, um... We're not there yet necessarily. So just comparing it to how it was for me in Hollywood, for them, it's so standardized and it's, there's even like there's laws involved when it comes to how businesses operated under Hollywood. But at the same time, I mean, Hollywood is a very old industry compared to esports. Mm-hmm. So we're getting there. We see the attempts and you see the attempts constantly of other people trying to get in. But some of the attempts, they're not as good. It's going to be a little hard to break into the old guard of this is how we do things mm-hmm. versus this is how we should be doing things and having 
had my foot in both. I can see why. Because not everything that was done, you know, business-like in Hollywood is necessarily the right thing. Uh, I feel like there's some things that we can adopt. But paperwork, contracts, definitely important. The thing is, enforcing it's still very hard. It's not like we didn't have contracts with the players in DC when mm. we, you know, when I did it. But players are still free to leave. Because what am I supposed to do? What are we supposed to do if they want to leave? You just buy them out. And that's that. That's what the buyout clause is for. And I think that's mm. important. If you're you know, an esports org or something, that needs to be on there. That way you don't get... Have them leave an important asset. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's completely gone. Totally. Um, but at the same time, as a player, and same thing, like having too much of a and we've seen that issue like long-term contracts and all that stuff there's a good finance like it has to be worth it and 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 there are you know agents and managers that everybody can talk to and reach out to and lawyers and i highly encourage anybody out there like listening to to do that it doesn't matter how big or small that deal is you need to have someone that knows what they're doing look into it if you're not well versed with it because there's so many things that people don't even pay attention to they just look at the dollar signs and they're like oh that seems good but then they don't do the actual like reading of everything else and how much they're giving up mm -hmm. for that dollar sign and then at the end of the day if you look at the actual overall thing you're like oh that's not even a lot after all because I'm having to give up so much for so long. Right. And whether it's me or to anybody else, like that's that's the beauty about like this space is that there's so many people out there that are legitimately willing to help with or without a fee. Mm -hmm. Um and I think that's another thing is a lot of people need to get used to the idea of paying for service, paying for work. Um I rarely do favors here and there as far as like, oh, let me read your contract for free. I mean, right. I'll, if, if I'm well enough, but even if it's not me, like anybody else out there, I tell, I tell you, hey, if you're an up and coming player about to get signed by an org, reach out, pay an agent or a lawyer to look over your stuff. The money that you're spending now is going to save you so much headache down the road later. Mm -hmm. And, it's like if your org that you're dealing with doesn't like the idea of you bringing in someone that is supposed to look out for your interests, that's a huge red flag already. Any, and I say this with emphasis, any reputable org will want you to lawyer up, will want you to have <laughs> an agent. They will not be scared mm. about that. I'm not even kidding. I have organizations like team orgs and and you know and players will recommend players to reach out to me if they don't have representation mm -hmm. will recommend them to their other agent or lawyers or wherever they'll pass that information along because they know this is how the business is done you know they're looking out for their own interests and other people are looking out for theirs. And if they don't want you to do that for yourself, then that's a big red flag. And you need to run away. It doesn't matter how much money they're offering you. Because at the end of the day, money being offered means jack unless they're actually paying you. We've seen yep. that countless of times, right? <laughs> like, yep. 
uh, what GSC or whatever? Have they paid people yet? Nope. I don't know. Probably not. Guessing no, right? No, I don't think so. No. So, <laughs> I mean, even even today, even with all these horror stories, it still happens. Like it, it's mm-hmm. everybody knows that this is something that happens in the industry, and it still happens. So yeah. I completely agree that when it comes, and and that's a huge thing that esports needs to do to be like mm-hmm. a really reputable industry is that it needs to be standardized like yeah agent talks to agent lawyer talks to lawyer like and as as sort of like old world as that might seem to all the zoomers that are up and coming it's like, <laughs> there's a reason that this has been done for hundreds right. of years at this point yeah over a variety of different industries is that mm-hmm. there there's just certain things that you you can't really sacrifice on right no yeah. no uh, it's just like a big one that like for like as an example that people don't realize that they sacrifice if you're a content creator and you're gonna get signed into an org you still own your content or do they right that's that i mean that's huge it, it, people don't realize it's that huge that like a lot of the time anything that you make under the org is their content forever mm-hmm forever and they might they might be like oh yeah you can use it for your own stuff and you can keep the youtube ad revenue but technically the content is theirs Mm -mm. and they will use it six years from now your face you might have blown up to become shroud (laughs) they will use your face and their marketing material because they can exactly and you can't do anything about it when technically you should be compensated for that stuff so it's like that's just one of many things that like people don't realize is what the agents lawyers managers that's what they're paid to look out for they Mm. understand all the nuances for that stuff but i mean yeah like that's that's i think like the big part of the industry and then as far as like everything else i don't know i really do like that there's a lot more space and avenue as far as uh where esports is heading i one of the big things that i've been very happy to see as an artist as well is that i see um organizations bringing in their own like art. back in the day it was just like graphic designers like mm-hmm. being brought in to like design like my thumbnails and our graphic announcements but now you have like full-on like illustrators being signed by esports orgs to do content for them and i love that yeah. i love it because i'm all about like the art um, I don't know if I would personally do that because I'm very finicky about the kind of art I like to. I, I, it's I like not for to everybody do. for sure, but no, not closed off to the idea. Maybe if any esports org is listening, but at the same time, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be sad if I don't ever get that. I'm, I'm really weird about my art. I don't know what it is, but. Uh, but for my friends, I am very excited. I love looking at art. I love so any esports org out there. There's so many really talented artists that you could be bringing in to elevate your content. So do that because it really helps, and you're also providing a job opportunity for other artists out there. I and mean, we've seen it like so many other job opportunities, like like the whole life coach, the mm-hmm. the physical therapists already like me sports psychologists they're making their way into the esports freaking chefs personal chef i'm all about that stuff we're so legitimate now it's it's exciting and i i'm honestly just excited to see like how much more big the industry can be because if it works for 
all of the other entertainment industries, aka like the Hollywoods in the sports world and whatnot, then why not esports? Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, so last last little topic that I want to talk to you about yeah. um, is Valorant mm-hmm. slash game changers and sort of like the future of of esports because because mm. to me and and this has just sort of been my little take uh that i've had and, and been like mulling over since maybe like early beta days of valorant and, and seeing how riot yeah. has run their their ecosystem in that game is that i kind of feel like we've been living in esports version 1.0 up until valorant and mm-hmm. valorant is the first esports 2.0 game yeah and and for me the reason that i think that is because you know league and dota and counter-strike and odd and rocket league and all these games have have kind of been all operating under the same sort of set of like generally accepted rules and like the way that Mm -hmm. they like create content and the way that they run their tournaments and all that sort of stuff and then valorant comes out as the second esport for a company that has had a track record of running a successful esport right and you can already see the differences each agent appeals to a very specific demographic to make it a global reaching esport they are already putting Mm -hmm. a huge emphasis on bringing women into the conversation and as competitors and as talent and as everything um to make it farther reaching and and more sort of like holistic and um just the interest that could be possible and the way that the game develops as well and beyond that They've also sort of taken a, I don't know, you know, you think whatever you want about Riot and how they run their esports and how they're heavy handed approach to everything. But mm-hmm. I mean, they have, like you said, artists like there's there's artists that are doing stuff and being integrated into yeah. the scene. It's becoming almost like a cultural phenomenon in terms of like music, art, game, competition, mm-hmm. everything. Um, so what what has been your perspective in terms of like switching sort of a bit of focus from Dota to Valorant and also just like what you see as going forward in terms of esports development and things that are happening. There's definitely a lot of things that I really like with how they're running things. I mean, they've had that proof of concept, I suppose, with League when they'd released KDA. Mm -hmm. I think that was a big one because I remember watching the music video, watching Worlds, and how KDA is now this whole thing. Because, you know, K-pop is, like, huge. And mm-hmm. they're like, let's capitalize and get in on that. Where at the end of the day, I don't need to play League or even know anything about League of Legends to appreciate what KDA is. And I feel like for Dota, they finally did that with the anime and right. on Netflix. And that's huge. And I know Riot's going to be... I mean, technically, I think theirs was an... I don't care who did it first, but the fact that everybody's doing it. Because at the end of the day, Red versus Blue was the first one, right? Yeah, I true, don't know. True, Halo, but, <laughs> Halo forever. <laughs> <laughs> but that's... I The, the idea where I, sometimes with something I don't get with the whole... Elit, how do you say? Elitism? Elit, elit, oh, elitism? Elit, yeah, that one. With <laughs> some people in gaming is... You, why don't you like bringing new people or new or other demographics in? Because it's only ever going to do good things for the game when you have more players coming in. Mm-hmm. And 
as a if you're a game dev, that's what you want. And I think like KDA did that to start. Whereas like you're you know when you look at the life cycle of the game that is League, same thing with the life cycle that is Dota. Because I remember seeing a thread where a lot of people came in because the anime brought them back in or introduced them to it, and they wanted to check it out. You're like, oh, let me try this out and. And it's kind of the same thing. So I think Valorant does a really good job for that. Whereas I, a lot of people, especially a lot of males, do not understand what it's like when everybody asks, why do women like to play support? I don't like to play support. I just like to play characters that look pretty or that look like me or that can cater to my power fantasy of, hey, I could be this person i could be that person and i'm sorry at the end of the day no male character really makes me feel that way women characters do because i'm a woman so i like to be able to pick a character that kind of mirrors or represents me or what i can be Mm -hmm. and valorant does a really good job of that there's really strong powerful kick-ass women on there that I enjoy playing mm-hmm. and they're really fun to play. And then Riot kind of took it to a whole new level by, you know, they created this uh, esports ecosystem, this tournament system, and then made a sister to that that is Game Changers that allows and encourages women to compete. And everybody keeps bringing up, oh, are they're not as good. They're not as good. Well, that's the thing. We're still starting. Of course, they're not going to be as good. But in time, the goal is that it'll, one, encourage more women or, you know, more women to play. It'll encourage them to think that I can actually be better at this if I devote that amount of time and effort to do this, that hopefully someday we will have those women just integrated with the men and we wouldn't need the game changers stuff anymore the game changers initiative and i would love to see something like this for dota i know there's always those attempts mm-hmm. you know we've had the dota valkyries the deso ladies and all of that stuff but it's gonna be very difficult without the support of the developer it, and that's just the honest like reality of it is that you need the backing because that's kind of what we saw with the dpc as well is that at the end of the day Without the developer being involved as whether they want to be or not, it you need to be involved for it to stabilize. Otherwise, you need to give up all of the control and all of the power to allow the third-party system to take over and run it themselves, which is not happening anytime soon as far as I'm aware. Right. So... Yeah, I mean, for I'm, all I know, maybe it's happening tomorrow, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> true. I mean, yeah, I've never really understood that whole argument of like people being like, well, why are why are we having like women only tournaments? Mm-hmm. But why are we giving a slot in VCT to Southeast Asia? Like they're clearly yeah. not as good as North America. They're clearly not as good as Europe. We've seen that. We can look at their gameplay. We can see them compete against each other. But at the end of the day, we want them to be able to be as good. And so right. you, you have to it's, give them a slot. You have to give them access to good competition yeah. and to and to have something to strive for. Otherwise, you're just going to lose that entire audience and that entire like potential uh, of players. And who knows what kind of ecosystem will spring up from broadening, bringing more to it. 
Yeah, I mean, we actually we've we've come witness to it with DPC. Mm-hmm. Everybody literally said that when South America got a yeah. DPC slot, and and they're like, "Why? Why? They're so bad. They're so bad. They're so awful." Look at where we are. Three South American teams at TI. Crazy stuff. Exactly. And exactly. They deserve to be there, to be honest, at this point. Like it's it's not mm-hmm. just like a pity slot. Like it I mean, in, no. in in the beginning, it might have been a little bit of that. They certainly were not as good, but it didn't take very long for them to suddenly no. become a really relevant region. And I mean, the player base is enormous in South America. They it them is. and Russia basically carry Dota at this point. Exactly. So exactly, exactly. I mean, and and that that's the all the proof that you need to like show anybody. It doesn't mm. have to necessarily. Well, if you give a, a region or a demographic the opportunity to constantly try to fill that space, they will eventually catch up and mm-hmm. be better. Because if South America in the DPC did not have their own slot they'd constantly would have to compete in na at like a hundred ping or, and or like, at ugh. all right at a yeah. hundred ping it's not it's not fair to them and i feel like it it you know even circling back to dc and how yeah sure it kind of panned out the way it did but when we brought in european players to na they we would they're they're bringing in a different region's knowledge and skill set into a region and injecting that and then you kind of saw the same thing happen when NA and EU players started filling in slots in the South American DPC all of the other orgs and players that's who they're learning from mm-hmm. so you're scrimming and learning against these people and then eventually your skill level is going to go up and if we translate that to like things like game changers, I absolutely I've said it like many times uh, in different like various formats. Teams like the the female teams, the women's teams. Eventually, you don't want to only be playing in game changers or other female only tournaments. You want to start signing up for all of the other ones. But will you get wrecked in the beginning? Sure, but the only way to get better is to play against people who are better than you. Mm-hmm. So that you can learn from them. You can incorporate that knowledge and that information that you get. And at the end of the day, scrims, they're fun. They're great. They're supposed to be a learning experience, but they're not the same thing as actually being in an actual competitive or tournament setting. And use Game Changers and use all of the other female tournaments that are popping up to kind of start, you know, as a stepping stone. But eventually your goal or the goal needs to be i want to be you know a vct champion and it doesn't matter necessarily what roster or what org i'll be a part of i just want to be good enough to be up there i want to be the next like you know tens or boaster or whoever or if in dota you know you want to be the next like i don't know puppy or something (laughs) like why not yeah why not like (laughs) totally i mean i I consume a lot of Valorant content and I, I mm-hmm. watched an interview with um, cloud nine L and Alexis mm-hmm. and they, they were like, these other teams need to start playing. VCT. Yeah. And, and they were the first team that really went out there in VCT and they got wrecked initially. And then they started getting wrecked less. They started getting wrecked less. And then they beat some like tier two, all men's teams. Mm-hmm. 
and then they go play in game changers and they just destroy everybody because exactly. they got owned by better players and learned from it and then owned other people and like that's just how competition works like exactly you, you don't get better in, unless you actually challenge yourself but same time if there is sort of like a perception initially that you cannot compete it's very hard to go for it yeah. and, and like reach your full yeah. potential so that's why something like game changers is important because it and and you know like the buzzword of like safe spaces and stuff like that it is kind of like that because it allows you to feel um or, or at least like feel out what it is to be a competitor first mm-hmm. in, in right. sort of an, an environment that is more supportive than most you don't have to necessarily feel as much pressure just because i can imagine for um a woman playing a competitive video game really in any space in any game mm-hmm. there's just always going to be some extra element of pressure to perform just yeah. because of the stereotypes that still exist in gaming spaces um or no for sure for sure yeah i mean and if if the men out there still can i mean i was just gonna keep circling it back to south america dpc slots like prior to south america having their own dpc slots what they're representing south american teams representing peru brazil playing in tournaments where they're forced to play in USC, no, you tell it like you guys have. Do people even realize like there was no tournaments really that would cater to their server needs mm-hmm. ever? Yeah. So you're already playing at a disadvantage coming into that. So how do you say that you are just as good to compete when you're coming into it at a disadvantage? Yeah, that's how being in a minority region or a minority gender even like that's that's that the disparity that you kind of have to address so when you create that safe space or even just a space that allows you to play in a region with your proper ping <laughs> guess what it makes a huge difference yep. huge difference and then suddenly the improvements start showing and then you start being better and then you can come into this and put yourself in a more level position aka the land situation and then that's where you, you know you could really strut your stuff so i don't know it, it it works and anybody that says otherwise like that's i think that's the thing that you need to pay attention to right now is at least for our dota audience south american dpc system and i wouldn't be surprised Riot sees stuff like that happen, and that's why VCT regions exist like so consistently, and they're so like pocketed because you have to have that. Yeah, it's so important. One hundred percent. Okay, so <laughs> I just want to say thank you for joining me. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been super enlightening. I hope other people who are watching and listening have learned some stuff from it. Uh, I do have two little tiny yeah. nugget final questions for you. First of which is, since you have worn so many hats, to use a very cliche mm. term, what is what is the thing in your esports journey so far, your gaming journey, that you are personally kind of like the most proud of? Whether it's you know, being able to pull off a tournament, uh, breaking into a new game, hosting event, like wh- what are you sort of like the, the most proud? What has brought you the most uh, satisfaction? captain's draft for the 
Dota miner. Okay. I was a large scale LAN that involved uh, large scale money mm-hmm. and not even exaggerating for majority of that tournament development. Uh, I did like most of the work on my own. Mm. And I would not recommend that for anybody, but literal blood, sweat, and tears. One of my most memorable, you know, what was that like inside out, like core memories is standing in our living room when we weren't sure if we were going to get one of our sponsors to pull through. If Captain's draft, the land was still going to happen. And I was crying to Shannon saying, I don't know if we can do this. And then we were worried that we were going to have to come crawling to Valve and say this, sorry, we turns out we can't do this. And then eventually it worked out and then did all of, you know, did everything. Like I was the project manager, tournament organizer. I literally did all of the hospitality. I was the set designer. I, <laughs> I designed the trope. I did everything. Like, like everything that my skill set was capable of doing, I implemented it on there so that, you know, given the given that we had to already cough up so much of our money, it saves money that I only had to do it for myself and not have to hire some hire it out. And after all of the stress that that was done and it was wrapped up and the reception for the most part was very positive, you know, even with all of the hiccups, like the freaking weather. Oh my God, know, it was so cold. Why was DC <laughs> having the worst weather? Like, were you there after? Because I'm not even kidding. It was 70 degrees the day after the tournament. And yeah. I'm like, why? Uh, why? It was, it was like... What? It's like 15 <laughs> degrees or something like that. Or like even lower. It was it was like the craziest like weather anomaly that like they had. And then it was like 60, 70 degrees the day after the tournament. It was yep. beautiful and sunny. And I'm just like, you couldn't have done this during my tournament week. <laughs> really? God, why? But it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, despite all of that despite like our tech issues and we had to do what that freaking fill. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, it was good and it turned out well and learned a lot of lessons from it. But at the end of the day, and I don't do this often. This is like something that if I had a therapist, would they, they would tell me, you need to start owning your, your stuff more, which I'm trying to do. And Shannon's been kind of helpful with like helping me do that too, because I'm always like so used to just being this is Shannon and you know that's his like he gets the spotlight I'll be in the background always supportive but like that was my thing that was my baby I gave birth to it with all of the struggles and there you go out into the world graduated with a mango in your hands <laughs> what up like so yeah that that to me out of everything I've ever done that's probably my biggest like awesome accomplishment so awesome. I want to do it again I don't know. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe maybe with like some more set in stone backing exactly. and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> awesome. Exactly. 
Uh, okay, so final question before I let you go is just what are you the most excited about for the future of gaming and sports? And what do you see mm. in maybe in the next like two to three, even five or even 10 years? What 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 is on the horizon or what would you like to see happen? Um, I would like to see us on primetime TV. I know where esports is like on ESPN sometimes, on like TBS, cable, or something like that. But I feel like, although I don't know how this is going to work since I feel like it's pretty backwards. Um, because we're seeing major sports coming into like the streaming Which, space. Yeah, totally. But I I still think it would be cool to have, I don't know, maybe like TI on NBC or something like that. Have like freaking like what Bob Costas <laughs> or something. Can you imagine? Oh, I don't know. Man. I just I it comes full circle, I feel like. I feel like you still need both. Mm -hmm. Um and honestly, okay. It might just be, it might be an accompaniment to that, but maybe the thing that I do want to see, and it's going to happen no matter what, because the audience will just keep getting older. Uh, it's just how normalized esports is going to be moving forward, where if someone says, oh, I want to be a professional player for Dota, people aren't going to be like, what? Or you play video games for a living? What? Now it's it's getting there, but eventually it's just going to be so normalized to the same point. Like you, nobody bats an eye when you say, you know, talk about the NBA or MLB or anything. Like it's so right. normal. Yeah, you don't totally. have to be a fan, but you get it. It's there. Mm. That's, That's great. What I see. Yeah, I, I yeah. totally, totally get that. I mean, even now, like people ask me what I do. Oh, I, I make, I'm, a, I'm a. I'm a media producer. I make YouTube yeah. videos. Yeah, exactly. You come up with all of the yeah. crazy titles, right? What other crazy titles? Like, have, like I, I, I make video content on YouTube. Every time, YouTube, I think, is my go-to because Twitch, it's still, it kind of is still like a little back and forth, especially given some of the things happening with Twitch right now. YouTube is always still like a safer thing to say. Yeah. Or, I don't know, like, <laughs> I'm a content like I stream on Twitch and they look up Twitch and I'm like you do that and I'm like no not that <laughs> not that stream no <laughs> <laughs> it's all good but yeah or I play video games for a living no actually my big one because like uh, you know we have like our Dota stuff like our skin or, or displayed like our uh, uh, it's like oh yeah I design stuff for video games okay nice That's the, like I work in the video game industry. I I design. I like I'm a video game designer, and I can't get into it because how do I explain the monetization of the workshop? Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> so then it's like people wait. People buy digital items. They don't actually. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. Never mind. Let's cut that one off. <laughs> totally. Oh my god. Uh, okay. Thank you so much, Nikki. I I really appreciate mm -hmm. all your insight. And uh, I hope everybody else enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Um, but that being said, where can people find you? Do you have anything that you want to plug as far as like, where can, uh, where can people, what should people check out about what you're doing? 
probably just I mean, I, the thing I keep the most up to date is probably like my Twitter. I'm really, as someone who works in, you know, entertainment slash social media, I'm really good with everybody else's social media. I'm really bad with mine, but I'm, Twitter is the one that I keep the most up to date, I suppose. But, uh, so I guess that's it. And honestly, I'm anywhere on the web. It's just Sajidine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll put Whatever the link in the description thing. below and, and people will probably be able to see you. Whether it's mm-hmm. Dota or maybe maybe casting, hosting some more Valorant, we've seen that a bit recently. So be sure to check yeah. her out uh, on the platforms. Yeah, we will. We'll see you in the next episode. Not sure who the guest is mm-hmm. going to be, but hopefully it'll be as entertaining as this. <laughs> <laughs>